for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and a rich mountain culture that we will explore weekly with episodes that you can enjoy at your leisure. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smoky Mountains for almost 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Now today, we're going to be talking about hounds. <laughs> Specifically, the state dog of North Carolina, the Plot Hound. My guest is Bob Plot. And he is a third, great, the third great-grandson of George Plot, who first brought the Plot Bear Hounds to America in the mid-18th century. And he's the great-great-nephew of Henry Plot, who introduced the breed to the Great Smoky Mountains in the, 19th, in the early 1800s. But first, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what hounds mean, have meant to me growing up in the Smoky Mountains. Now, I always associate uh, hounds... Uh, with my grandfather McElroy, he was a, uh, an avid hunter. He had hunted raccoons and fox, uh, amongst other animals. He he was so avid he uh, built himself a cabin on wheels that he would pull along in his old T T T model uh, to to even down roads to to go to different hunting events. I remember the I remember riding with him, and he would he would drive up the mountain in his T T model Ford uh, with the gas, and he turned the gas off to float down the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> he always had dogs on his farm when I visited, and I would I, and uh, I always wanted to go hunting with him, but he 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 sort of. Uh, Sort of got sick, and then he uh, then he uh, died before we could. But uh, I remember, you know, I don't remember before, you know, a period of time because my family and I lived moved down to Texas for a short uh, two or three years when I was like in the first through third grade, first, no, first through the second grade. Um, but when we came back, one of the first things they do did is get us introduced back to our relatives, and they sent us over to my grandparents for a couple of days. Now he came to pick us up in his truck, that T model, uh, and uh, <laughs> he uh, put me in the front seat and uh, drove us. Uh, we're driving towards the farm, but he stopped by this stone building, <laughs> and he walked, jumped out, ran in, and he came out a few minutes later with a with a, a bloody bag that uh, that uh, was bulging with stuff. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and he got in the truck and he looked at me. He, he looked at me stern. He always had this stern look. He was an old farmer and stoic mountain man. He looked at me and got, I got a, a pig and poke for the bo- for a dog, right? Pigs and the poke for a dog. And I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> All right. And yeah, I didn't understand it. I just come from Texas where there was a slow Southern drawl, right? Yeah. And he was doing that fast mountain one without the constants on the end. And uh, I just, I didn't get it. And I was, it petrified me because here's this bag of bloody moans and I didn't know what he wanted me to do with it, what was for <laughs> anything else. So I was driving, we were driving, you know, another 15 minutes to the to the farm and, we'll, and I was like, what's going to happen? Why do I got this? What am I supposed to do? He, yeah, I'm holding it and we get to the, we get to the, we get to the farm and, he's, and, and then he stops and he looks at me and he, and he says, well, go on then. And I'm like, what? And he said, 
we'll feed them to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured out he said something like, uh, "Pigs for the poke." If pigs in the poke for the dog, which was bones in the in the, he'd gotten pig bones or something bones and put them in the bag and brought from the butcher, and we were going to feed the dogs with. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, that was that was a reintroduction to mountain uh, language that I quickly picked up, you know, being a young kid. But it was also about dogs. It was about yeah. hunting and pounds in the mountains. And I remember he used to have a have a. He, he one time he had he evidently caught some fox pups, and it, and put them in the barn. And I guess he did that to to train uh, the dogs on the smell of fox, right? Right. And I tell you, I went in there. I wanted to play with them, but boy, they smelled the high heaven. I, I never <laughs> smelled it. I can still smell that for as long as I, uh, as I, uh, 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 to this day, I can remember being just totally like having to walk out of there and just about throw up as I came out. <laughs> but you know, he always let us uh, be involved. He taught me. He, he used to talk a lot about hunting, and I learned a, you know a lot of little things at the time. And I always wanted to do it, but I never got the chance. But it was part of my culture. Yeah, my dad was busy working. He never really got to go hunting much after, you know, after he came back. Um, so, uh, but it, it, it's my, it's one of the intense memories of my grandfather. And I found this poem that, ma- that made me really think of him. And it, it sort of was, uh, I thought, uh, memorable. It's called Memories Just a Coon Honey by, uh, <laughs> by Caleb Spot, Scott. Many nights we chased through the woods, Lazarus, dad and me. Through the hills and hollers, river bottoms and mud, we talk quietly about all sorts of things. Life, hounds and girls, <laughs> the kinds of things a boy can't say at home around mom and the girls. Chasing the mat- black mask bandit. Oh, what a wonderful game. Sometimes he wins, sometimes we win. The odds are about to save. <laughs> now, the silence is broken with a loud, dying ball. That's Lazarus struck. We know it won't be long at all. I know Dad is smiling as we walk slowly to the truck. The odds are with us tonight, and the coon was out of luck. And now the hunt is over as the snow begins to fall. School will be out tomorrow. It's pretty heavy after all. Wishing Grandpa could be here too, but we knew he watched it all. And many nights hereafter through the forest and the creeks, Grandpa watching over us, Lazarus, Dad, and me. Oh, wow, that's cool. I, that's a that's a pretty cool one. I think it encompasses that that sort of a time and 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 you know the the family um, the importance of the of the uh, of the um, of hound of you know dogs in the in the mountain culture and hunting to men growing up uh, there. Um, and and the, and the, the traditions passed on for, in the family, you know, and dogs. And as we were, you're going to tell us, Bob is is pretty important into the you know into the uh, into the founding of the Smoky Mountains and the uh, you know and the settlement of it. Um, so uh, why don't you, Bob, and tell us a little bit about your background and your family history with the plot, plot hounds. Well, you know, my background's a lot like yours, Joseph. I, I, I grew up around it, and my father would take me to see a lot of these old-timers that were relatives of ours. Sometimes they were just our friends, but more t- often than not, they were relatives. And I remember vividly spending time with men like Vaughn Plot, Hub Plot, folks like that. And it was, for me, at that time as a boy, that was like going to, a kid today going to see an NBA star or 
or NFL star or something. You know, you, you just treat these guys with such respect of what they knew and what they had done. And then, of course, know that you were even related to them and they had, you know, that you might have something to do or could have something to do with perpetuating their legacy. I mean, I don't take any credit for any of it. I just try to record it and, and pass it on. But it's uh, really remarkable to be around those type of folks and hear those type of stories because that's I was always that weird kid who just loved to be around that sort of thing, too. Yeah, a little bit. Of, uh, me and you were weird kids around that time. <laughs> we <laughs> like to hear those stories, yeah. Yes, sir. So, um, so you you found out about you, you, the history of your, your family history, I guess. That was it was it something that was just um, talked about, or did you find out when you were a little bit older? Um, and yeah, what kind of um, what kind of honoring of the tradition did your family have? Well, we knew about it from the start, but I think for me personally, it was something I kind of took for granted initially because when I was really young. You know, everybody was still doing it. I mean, there was bone plot was still alive. Hub plot was alive. A lot of the guys who had been helped get the dogs registered back in 1946 for the first time, you know, they were still around and they had sons and grandsons and, and relatives just like myself. And, and so there was never any doubt in my mind that it was not going to be continued and perpetuated. And then when I had my own son, when my first, my son was born in 93 really made me realize that no one had really told these stories and that those guys were gone now. And my father was gone. My uncle was gone. Vaughn was gone. Hub was gone. And I really wanted to try to, to honor them mm-hmm. and let people know about what they had. There were so many misconceptions about it and so many things that had been told incorrectly. I just really wanted to make sure the story was told correctly and to dispel some of the stereotypes because so often you hear all these things about the dumb mountain hillbillies that don't know anything mm-hmm. when nothing could be further from the truth. So, um, so the, 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 the story, I read a little bit of it, George Plot and his brother came, started out on this journey. Now, why did they decide, decide and how did they do that and bring a bunch of dogs? With them? Well, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's interesting. There's a couple of different versions of it. And I stuck with the When I wrote my first book, I stuck with the version that the old people had told me. Now, there's other versions that say that maybe they came with their parents, but I was always led to believe that my third great grandfather came here with his brother and they brought, their father was a gamekeeper and didn't have a whole lot of money. And so he gave them the only possessions of real value he had, which was the, the plot dogs. And they brought five of them with them on the ship. And one of the brothers died in route and was buried at sea. So here was my third great grandfather. Uh, you know, alone, probably couldn't speak English and just with he and the dogs and, and his brother dead. Now, you know, that's one version of the story. If the story is that he came with his parents, that may be true too, but I stuck with what I'd been told. And either way, they brought the dogs with them and supposedly five dogs. And those dogs kind of became the foundation stock for the plot hound that we know today. They came into Philadelphia, right? They did, and, you know, the, the conditions on that ship were so terrible. You know, people glamorize and romanticize uh, the migration of immigrants to America, but it was just terrible. I mean, the, the food was rancid, water was terrible, people were dying uh, and buried at sea, just like, my, you know, my great, third great-grandfather's uncle. And supposedly the ship was so stunk so badly that when it came in the harbor, they wouldn't even let them dock. They'd started bringing the people in 
the stuff in there to uh, to just a few at a time, and they would sign an allegiance to the king and and then go their go their way. Uh, were they originally were those uh, were those dogs originally like big game dogs back in the uh, back in the homeland? In Germany, yes, uh, there was not bear in Germany, but there was boar, and so they were generally used for that. And then, of course, the gamekeepers were used to to be kind of guards, game wardens, do a little bit of everything to, to, to lead the breeding programs for the, the barons that, that they work for. Cool. Well, when we come back, we're going to find out more, how they ended up in the Smoky Mountains and a little bit about what makes them special breeds. All right. All right. Sounds good. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest Bob Plot. So, Bob, uh, your your great your your great great grandfather, right? The third great grandfather, right? Um, came into uh, Philadelphia with five with five hounds after having an um, uh, adventurous voyage with a bit of tragedy. And he, uh, he established himself there. How did the migration occur come get to the Smoky Mountains? Well, that's another interesting story, Joseph. Uh, they, again, there's two versions, but this version I was always told as a boy was that they were, another reason they brought the dogs with them were, was to be contract hunters for a German settlement in Newburn, North Carolina. And it was the largest German settlement on the East Coast. But they didn't really have it. They had all sorts of craftsmen, but they didn't have any hunters to provide food for them. So supposedly the that the plots were hired to come in and, and hunt and provide food for them. Now another version is that they came down the old wagon road and ended up like a lot of the, the, the German pioneers did in around Salisbury Concord area. Uh, either way. They definitely ended up there at some point, whether it came whether it was from Newburn or from Pennsylvania. Uh, but either way, by 1750, uh, sometime around that time, they were around Concord, North Carolina, at a farm established there. And Henry Plott, one of my grand, third great-grandfather's sons, who was my great-great-uncle, he then decided to migrate to western North Carolina to find more land and hunting there. And farmland, and so he, he and his brother-in-law came to uh, Haywood County in about uh, probably around 1803. I guess some people say a little a bit earlier than that. Some people say 1803, 1804. But by 1805, he's showing up on census records, and he has a farm here. And uh, he had a, a very industrious man, helped with the community. Uh, Love his. He had a, a great will where he instructed to make sure that his wife. He also had sold brandy and that uh his wife was to make sure she inherited his steel so i thought that was kind of interesting too well that's interesting we had a we had a show uh dave angel over at the elevated uh, mountain distillery told us yeah. all about uh moonshine and how brandy uh from you know fruits and stuff was made essentially the same way um and yeah so that that, that, that was a and it was a it was a higher ticket item and people you know did that quite often Absolutely. He had a receipt book with all that there. But but the first year, the first season he was here was rough. He actually ended up over near Canton and just about froze to death that winter and he credited the dogs with saving him. 
crossed over the Pigeon Gap and went down to the confluence of Dick's Creek and Richland Creek. And that's where Plot Creek is today and where the Plot Balsams and Plot Valley is. And that's kind of where the breed became famous. So what sets the plot bound uh, a breed apart from other purebred dogs? Well, one thing if, from a bloodline standpoint is their Germanic roots in that most of your American purebred dogs were descend from breeds in the British Isles. But I would argue that it's their intelligence as far as physical characteristics. Uh, they have a beautiful brindle coat, uh, but it's that intelligence, that tenacity, that loyalty, and multi-purpose capabilities that make them so special. But I would further argue that there are other dogs that have some of those same traits as well, and they're certainly great dogs in other breeds. But the plot hound story is so unique too, Joseph. It's 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 really classic Americana. It goes along with the constant migration, the Western migration of pioneers. And you know, in the 1700s and 1800s, this was the frontier. And from mm -hmm. that point forward, folks were headed to Texas, Arkansas, Colorado, Washington State later. And they took their dogs with them because they were such an integral part of their lives. Right. They had, um, they were pretty good at being protective, right? How are they, um, how are they personality wise compared to the other uh, hound dogs out there? Well, you know, I, I laugh, but there's truth to this. Uh, they're very fiercely loyal. I mean, once you have a pup and you raise that pup, he will, he or she will be just die for you. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you stories of myself and other people who dogs may love their parents or other people in the family. But at the end of the day, if I was going to be disciplined or if anybody in my family was going to be disciplined, the father or mother would have to put the dog up to, to the, <laughs> the, the dog wouldn't you know attack them or something. So, so yeah, so it was always they're just fiercely loyal and so, so smart. And they're just a joy to be around. But and and the good thing about them is they they're such have so many skills. They can be acclimated to any sort of lifestyle if you get them when they're a pup. But they have that DNA to hunt and to trail and to need a lot of activity. Well, how what would you say is the, the most common look for a plot hound? What do they look like? Well, they're known primarily for this beautiful brindle coat. And that brindle can come in two different variations. It can come with a dark base coat and a light kind of tiger stripe. And it can come with a, a light base coat and a darker tiger stripe. Uh, that's kind of the predominant color. About 5% of your plot hounds will be Maltese or what we call blue merle or a buckskin. And then you'll see an occasional saddleback, black saddleback with a solid black back and uh, brindle legs. And and like, due to later breeding, there, you see some black plot hounds now a lot more than you used to because some people took the buckskin out of the, the breeding pool and that resulted in that. But uh, I'm a big proponent for the buckskin because I think that's important to maintain that brindle coat. All right, cool. So they're, 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 they're a pretty beautiful dog, aren't they? They're strikingly beautiful. And again, there, there are other dogs that have you know, brindle coats, but I think it's that combination of the coat they're very athletic looking. You know, your traditional hound, people tend to think about a bloodhound with these droopy ears all the way to the ground, whereas a plot hound has more of a pancake ear, a lot thicker chest, uh, more athletic looking dog, no, not, none of the loose skin hanging off of them generally, uh, just a lot more athletic looking dog. And what would they, um, 
Why would they mostly hunt in the mountains? Well, you know, bear primarily, but also later when, you know, hogs and wild boar weren't introduced here really until later. But, uh, you know, hunting was survival in those days. So you hear people today, well, I don't want my dog to do anything but run bear or run coon or whatever. But back in those days, they were looking for food. So there's written accounts, multitudes of written accounts that I've covered in my books of guys talking about, you know, we went hunting and we went bear hunting, but we saw three turkeys, we killed three turkeys, we killed four deer, we killed, you know, this and that, and because they needed food. And mm-hmm. it was interesting, you said earlier about the, the, the dog food you're talking about with your grandfather, because back in those days, dog food was hard to find. You either fed dogs table scraps or you made what they called dog bread, which was a coarse grain cornbread that they just made in big cakes and bricks and fed to them. Right, yeah. yeah well, well, corn was very prevalent in the mountains. So yes, sir. Yes, that, sir. Was, that was the way to feed it. I remember that. They, my grandfather made that cornbread. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I tried tasting it one time. It wasn't that particularly good. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it, it's not your typical cornbread, you know. It's, no. it's coarse grain. But, but, you know, Vaughn Plot would tell a story of going hunting and, and, have, and the, the dog bread, he called it being frozen and having to break it up with his boots to feed the dogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, those, those don't you love those old frozen frozen hunting stories? Oh man, I tell you, I could <laughs> sit there and listen to them all day long. And yeah, did and people did. Say, talking about oh, by the gun froze in my hand and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frozen gun, frozen hunting stories are a big uh, big staple of uh, tales around the porch when I was growing up. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, so um. So they were uh, so they, in the mountains. They come here, and there was black bears, of course. So they helped they helped deal with that, and they also did they help deal with the wolves and coyotes and fox and things like that. Yeah, and there's again, you know, substantial amount of historical data of the dogs being protective of households, not just in in hunting and 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 being you know, providing food, but back in those days, fences were used to keep livestock out of garden. So needed these dogs to herd too so they would actually go out and herd livestock in and then there was also during back in the indian conflict uh in the civil war and just in general times where there were outlaws and stuff around the dogs had, had defended you know households and homesteads repeatedly mm-hmm. you know, just scores of stories of that type too i remember uh, yeah some people i can even remember still when i was growing up but sometimes people would uh, have to take their kids out to to work in the field, right? And so, they'd have a dog sit around with the kid, right? Yeah. Even, even a little baby, right? Ella Crockett would tell a story often of of him and his his brother being out in the yard when he was just still in diapers, and his parents going to, to in the field and work. There was another family nearby there where uh, a bull had gotten loose and was going right straight toward the kid to, to you know kill it run over at the very least and the and the plot down intervened and steered the, the bull away from the, the the child. Well I was doing I was growing up I had a I had a dog. I didn't have a hound, I had a dog. Um and you know and all sorts of dogs were important. And I we oh, lived yeah. up, we lived up in Fox Run pretty high up there, right? It's not too far from the Appalachian Trail really. And we had a lot of black bears come through there. And one got up and my dad had built a deck outside of my uh out of my uh my uh, room 
And I woke up one day and there was a black bear up out on there and the windows open. And I was like, oh no. But the dog lunged from my bed because he slept with me and scared the dog, the bear off. Cody Plot lived here in, in Waynesville, Maggie Valley. And he told a great story of the time that the hound healed a man. A guy had come back and said he was, said he had been disabled during the war. And everybody expect, you know, kind of expected he was he wasn't entirely truthful about it, and uh, but they tolerated him. And anyway, the bear, uh, dogs were chasing the bear, and the bear ran into the man's house while he was cooking a stew. And the guy jumped out the window and ran down the street, a road, hollering and screaming, and, and they were laughing at the the plot hound had, had rejuvenated the man and made him walk again. <laughs> there you go. That's a good story. So, um, so you uh, you mentioned that the, the breed is unique. What uh, what makes their story so unique? Well, I, you know, again, I think it's the the not many people have a dog named after the family, of course. Yeah. And so that's kind of unique. And then, of course, the fact that just it's such a part of every chapter in history. I mean, you can go back and look at some of these cattle drives out in Texas where people had moved out there from here in East Tennessee and had taken dogs with them. And they look just like plot hounds. I, don't, I can't prove that they were, but there's actual photographs of them. And if they're not plot hounds, they sure look like them. And it fits, you know. And, and I know for a fact that, for example, you know, relatives and friends took dogs out to Washington State in the, uh, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s to, to jobs as loggers out there. So I think it's just that part of that, you know, constant expansion of, you know, migration of people heading west and looking for a better life. And the dogs always went with them. Stanley Hicks told me a story one time of where Valley Crucis, a very nice area outside of Boone, North Carolina, just heard great grandfather sold that whole valley for a dog and a rifle and a sheepskin and thought he got the best end of the deal. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the, the those horse trading days are. Yeah, you know, some people uh, make make uh, deals they thought were great and were you know weren't. Uh, in our tire times now, are like oh, those 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 acres are worth a hundred thousand dollars each. Oh, easy, oh, yeah. easy, oh, easy. Crazy. Yeah. Well, um, we're gonna take a break. You know, um, you know, I uh, we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk more about uh, the full circle this breeds come. You know, and uh, how they're special. You know, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see you when we're back. doing it's joseph franklin mcelroy back with the gateway to the smokies podcast with my guest bob plot of uh, the plot hound family fame oh bob how are you doing so uh great, great. so uh you know i was i read i was reading a little bit about that and you know, i thought it was interesting that the plot hound was the only uh only coon hunting dog that wasn't descended from foxhounds is that true <laughs> It is, and that goes back to what I mentioned earlier about the, the most of your foxhounds came from England or British Isles. Uh, the plot hound has Germanic roots, which totally sets them apart. There's another whole great story about Celts who had dogs back then, and the Celts liked a closed-mouthed dog that was quiet, and the, the English hated that because they wanted foxhounds that bayed and made a lot of noise. 
but yeah, the, the plot hound has that, that dramatic roots that makes it different. Yeah. Cool. And what kind of, what kind of sound do they make? Plot hound? Yeah. Well, there's two types of barks primarily are known with a plot, uh, a chop mouth and a bay mouth. And the chop is kind of a real staccato short <laughs> that when it gets close on the trail. Then you have that ball mouth, which is more of a long, woo, 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 long howl like that. Oh, cool. So it's a, it's a sort of a low sound or? Can be, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and it's, uh, and like I say, it just it intensifies as they get closer or towards what they're treeing or trying to contain or bay. Cool. So how has the breed come full circle over the past 250 years? Well, that's a good question. I think the, the multi-purpose capabilities is what always set the plot dog apart even early on in that they were hunters, they were herders, they were protectors, and they were friends. But And that still is, all those things are true today. As things changed over the generations, obviously, you know, Maggie Valley now is a, a where your resort is, here is, is a, a beautiful tourist area. We have a plot fest here and there's festivals and music and all sorts of great things going on. But back in those days, this was just frontier. So now as things have evolved, the dog has had to evolve with that. You know, you still have hunting going on, but now you the dogs are show dogs. The dog is recognized as the AKC champion show dog. It's recognized as both all the major kennel clubs been used as search and rescue dogs with wildlife operations to tag animals, been used as cadaver dogs, and then, of course, all the same things they've done over the years. So multi-purpose capability has remained the same. Even though some of those skills have changed and those needs have changed, the skills remain the same. So they'd make a really good – they're a really highly intelligent dog that could probably be in a, in a lot of – any kind of scenario where you need intelligence, Right. Yeah, I, I, I tell the story all the time. You know, it, it's dogs, plot hounds in particular. You get one as a pup, you can acclimate them to pretty much anything. I've got a friend of mine that, who raised his plot around on a chicken farm, and those his dog will herd chickens. Won't, won't <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> won't bite them. Won't, now you do anything else. Now my dogs, on the other hand, if they saw a chicken, they would think it was supper. You know, because oh, wow. they just they'd never been around it. You, know? you reckon so, I can I, I can get a pup for my uh, herd my two year old twins around? <laughs> yeah, you could. You, you'd take some work with them, but yeah, it's just a matter of doing it. A lot of people make the mistake though sometimes of going and trying to get a dog that's you know already got. A, established habits and then want them to turn them into a house dog or, or, um, you know, something else. They make great pets. I've got a friend of mine, it's a retired special forces colonel and, and dog sleeps with him every night. And I've got a video on my website where the dog salutes the flag before he raises the flag in the morning. I mean, dog is just, yeah. Oh, that's just well, that's a, that's a good segue. You know, mountains are famous for colorful characters, right? Yes, yes sir. So can you give me some stories about some colorful characters that help make the breed famous and who oh, might yeah. personify Southern culture? Yeah. Vaughn Plot, the guy I talked to you about earlier, used to laugh when I was a kid that Vaughn could cuss for an hour and never use the same curse words twice. <laughs> and uh, But he was just this really intense guy who really wanted to do nothing but hunt and run dogs and breed great dogs and these wonderful dogs and there's a great story about where he was in a on a hunting trip and went to sleep by the fire and his buddies thought it would be hilarious if they put a fire around him and left an exit for him to run away from they figured if they stoked the fire 
it would get hot enough that he would jump up and run hysterically away. They didn't under, they underestimated him. They they kept stoking the fire. The fire got higher and higher, like a Johnny Cash song or something. <laughs> and uh, and and he goes and so nothing's happening. He's just sleeping, snoring away. And finally, getting concerned, and the, he he raises up from the waist, doesn't jump up, doesn't run, looks to his left and looks to his right and says. It's just as I expected. I died and gone to hell. It <laughs> <laughs> lays back down and goes back to sleep. <laughs> and he's the next first guy out in the morning, you know, getting those guys up to hunt. And it just, you know, it just all these stories like this of just goes, you know, Wilburn Parker, who lived over on Caney Fork, he, he was a great hunter, but he didn't like bear meat that much, but he would give bear meat to his neighbors. And somebody asked him, wow, you must you must know a great recipe for bear meat. He hated it. He didn't like it, bear meat at all, but he gave it away. And he said, yeah, what's the recipe? And he said, well, you get a big kettle and a boiling water in it, and you put the meat and the salt and pepper, and you put some rocks in the bottom. That's the key, putting the rocks in the bottom. And you get it to a boil, and you boil it for about two hours, and you throw the meat out, and you eat the rocks. <laughs> oh, well. Because <laughs> he but, didn't like the bear meat, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. But the but the dogs. There's just other great stories, and this is. I'll try to make this one as brief as possible. But Bob Plot, who lived here in Maggie Valley, Herbert was his full name. But he and Gola Ferguson were great friends, and they um, had hunted together. And they were over at Gola's house, you know, recuperating from a hunt, talking about their dogs. And uh, this guy came up and insulted their dogs. And he said, I bet you $5 that I can, you can sew me up in a bear hide and I can go out there and, and, and pop those dogs in the head and they won't do a thing. Well, this was in, you know, 1940s, probably $5 is a lot of money. And they said, sure. And of course, you don't insult their dogs. That was something you just didn't do. So they, they took the bet. And so Charlie Crisp was a guy's name and they sewed him up in a bear hide and he got down on all fours and he snorted and puffed and puffed like a bear will do at times. Dogs didn't even lift their heads. They're up there under apple tree snoozing. And he gets closer and he gets braver and he gets closer and he gets braver and he reaches up and hits one of the dogs in the head. Well, then Gola and Hub said that the dogs just jumped on this. There wasn't an inch of that bear hide there was and the do- a dog latched onto, you know. And they thought that was just the most hilarious thing they'd ever seen because they knew he really couldn't get hurt. The bear hide was thick. But all of a sudden they heard this just piercing scream of agony. They thought, what's wrong? How can he be hurt? It turns out that one of these pups who had never even been hunting before, but were just there with the other dogs, had gotten up under the bear hide and had latched on to Charlie's crotch <laughs> and had just about castrated him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they got the dogs off of him. Got The, the pup ended up becoming one of Gola Ferguson's best all-time dogs. The Gola and Hub said that was the most expensive bet they'd ever made because uh, Charlie paid the bet, but he had to stay there and be nursed back to health at Gola's house for about two weeks. Wow. <laughs> well, that kind of rough, uh, that kind of rough uh, uh, behavior was emblematic of the mountain characters, right? Yeah. It really was. It truly was. And and but they were such good people. I mean, Hub and Gola. I mean, I remember when I was a boy going to see Hub a lot, and they were just such kind, such kind people, and. And so talented, you know, Hub here in Maggie Valley, he built a water wheel that generated electricity for his house, had one of the first houses that had electricity. And 
I can remember visiting with him and the lights would get brighter with the water pressure increased and would dim a little bit when the water pressure decreased. And they were just immensely talented people. So, um, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, this, you know, Scotch, Irish, European settlers, their traditions with plot hounds. Was there any uh, traditions with hounds in the Cherokee or there was even West Africans that lived in the mountains? Yeah. Um, that's it. Jack Edwards grew up over on Plot Creek and was adopted son of John Plot, and he he's still alive, and he's, he's almost 100 years old now. And he told me stories of going over on Soco, right up above here where we are today, Soco Gap, and meeting a bunch of the Cherokees over there. And Osley Sanook was a, a, a chief at that time, and it was a Marine War hero and a professional wrestler. And he had bear dogs and plot dogs and the plot family and he would hunt together and they Jack said he can remember them burying potatoes and in, in the in the fire and cooking potatoes and eating them and camping together and, and hunting together for days at a time. And, and they were renowned for great dogs. But some of the Cherokee didn't believe in bear hunting because they are there's a Yona was the, the word for bear and uh, the, it had sacred qualities to them. They didn't believe you should kill a bear unless you just had to. Some of them did. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about how people can learn more about it here now and things that are going on in the mountains that uh, they can visit. Howdy, y'all. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the uh, Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Bob Platt. Platt. Um, so, Bob, where um, are some great places to learn more about the block plot hounds and experience their history? Well, I, I've written five books about Southern Mountain culture and the plot hound, plot hound tales, colorful characters that include all these history and all these interesting stories, I think. Um Right here in Maggie Valley, where I am today, at your hotel, there's literally the plot balsams are right around us. Water Rock Knob, which is a famous plot balsam. We have a state historical marker. There's a whole story I could take a whole hour and tell you about that. So that's a that's part of the the balsam mountain range. You got like three peaks named after the plot, you know, and then there's like a marker up in the mountains and a whole story up there, right? Yes, sir. There's yeah. there's a marker on the parkway uh, the, overlooking the plot balsams. There's a state historical marker at Hazelwood Elementary School that was erected in 2009. It's only the second marker for a dog in the 75-year history of those. And then there's a statue for the plot hound in downtown Hazelwood that was just put up a few years ago. And then there's just all sorts of stuff, old home places and houses and different things you could see. We're hoping to do tours here at your place and seminars here in the future and I, I i've been I've, I've been doing programs for years about this and uh and now is, all over is there a, a farm or a kennel that has plot, plot hounds in the mountains anywhere that's oh. know, famous for them yeah i mean there's that's one thing i i think is so interesting and one, one thing i love to promote is you know if, if the plot hound had been just left to the plot family it would have been probably relegated to sort of a regional phenomenon as opposed to national worldwide notoriety it enjoys today. And that's because so many people came here from other places 
and bought dogs or had dogs shipped to them. And then the people here in the community who were friends, family, relatives, they continued that legacy as well. I mean, I did a program, a school program for kids, and I just went down a list of names, about 100 names from A to Z, and asked the kids, if you're related to anyone by this name, or if this is your last name, I want you to stand up. And by the time we were done, everybody in the room was standing up, and they said, why would we do this? And I said, because this is your story, too, because all of your family had something to do with perpetuating the legacy of these dogs. So to answer your question, yeah, there's there's here in Maggie Valley, there's the Mahaffey's, the McGahey's, uh, over in uh, uh, Jackson County, you've got uh, Roy Stiles over in Graham County, Roy Clark's right across the mountain here in East Tennessee, Ira Jones is over in Swain County. I mean, I still raise the dogs today myself. The list just goes on and on. But it's kind of nice to come and get get the authentic experience of buying where the they they, they got you know, buying, you know, interacting with them and buying maybe buying yourself one in the in the in the mountains where they became famous, right? <laughs> it it really is, and I think too, it's pretty neat. We take a lot of pride in the fact that you know the dogs we have can be really traced back to the dogs first registered in 1946 and and before that too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just I'm just so proud that. that you know, I, I make, try to make clear that, you know, we take no credit for it. We just want to promote that legacy and promote the history and, and you know, get people to look, read these books and go to the programs and, and understand what a great story it is. So you got a new book coming out in March. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, March 15th, my son Jacob and I put together a book. My son's a train expert and he, I'm, didn't know that much about it. And he convinced me to get involved with this uh, Smoky Mountain Railways project, which was about the building of the Western North Carolina Railroad, which is really fascinating because it was done almost entirely with convict labor. It was a terrible, they were treated terribly. And it took, took longer to build the railroad from Old Fort, North Carolina to Murphy, North Carolina, than it did to build the whole transcontinental railroad. And if you look at the population of people and a percentage of people that died more people died building this railroad than they did the transcontinental railroad wow uh, but it had a tremendous impact on the region Asheville, for example at that time was just literally a cow town i mean there was nothing there and you see it today the, 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 and the whole, all of western north carolina was just kind of cut off because there was no really way to take uh, products to market or get things anywhere or get things in here so the, the railroad just literally was life-changing. And, of course, that's another reason to come to the area. Now you've got the Great Smoky Mountains Rail, Railway over in Bryson City. Uh, that's a big tourist draw. And then, you know, I, I do work for Shelton Farms in, in, in Whittier, North Carolina. That is a, about a great story, too, in terms of their tie-in with the area and one of the oldest continuously operating farms in western North Carolina. So it's, there's just so many, everywhere you turn, there's a great story here. Cool. So um, you mentioned some of the things we're thinking about doing. You got any specific plans for the future? Me? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hoping to do programs with you guys. I've done programs. We, we did Plot Fest here in Maggie Valley for four years, raised $125,000 for Jackson County and Haywood County Head Start programs. Um, wanted to try to do a lot more stuff like that, festivals, that sort of thing. Uh, and just really educate people, you know, yeah. people tend to fall into 
two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to these sort of things. They're either very knowledgeable or they're very clueless, and they tend to be almost hostile sometimes if they don't understand it. I think the key to anything is just communication and telling these stories and letting people make their own decisions. Right. So how can people contact you? I have a website, bobplot.com. I've got all those usual social media pages, Facebook, all that sort of thing. I have two book pages for Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of thing. So I'm easily reached there. Anybody can email me there at www.bobplot.com. And, of course, I hope to be doing some work with you folks here and promoting some things here and throughout the area once we kind of get things back to normal again. All right. Well, thank you, Bob, for showing up and uh, being on this program. It's been really fun. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think we'll have some further conversations. I think we'll do a whole railroad show, so I might get you on that, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, help promote the book. Um, let me tell people out there, um, you can buy Bob's book if you, uh, and on Amazon. You can find the links to those books on gatewaystothesmokies.fun. All right. And we have them right on the front page. We have four of his books. You can click on each, any one of them. It'll take you right to the Amazon page to buy the book. Um, that, that site also has, you know, uh, all the previous episodes. It also has, uh, um, you know, so, some links to resources. It has links to all our social media. It has a, a subscribe button. You can subscribe to our, our newsletter that's coming out. Uh, so it's the resource to go to to find out all about this show. Uh, I want to mention, of course, that I own the Metal Ark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. It's a mountain, uh, a traditional mountain, a road, roadside motel that we've made sorted into a sort of into an Appalachian chic resort. I mean, it's still got an authentic, you know, roadside motel feel, but we we have programs and we have things going on there year round. It's been in my family for over forty five years, and it's around seventy years old. We have a lot of we have a lot of music going on there too, Mike. Uh, Mike Ogletree is an artist in residence, and he's there. He's a former journal of single minds, and he's exploring the Scottish roots of mountain music. Um, I also own a, a site called smokiesadventure.com that's dedicated to, you know, trail maps and uh, specific information about uh, doing outdoor adventures and other kinds of things in the mountains. And, um, and, uh, and, um, and, and resources that uh, you can go to, to to help you plan a trip to the mountains. And then I have built with Where Traveler magazine, it's a great resource called, called wheretraveler.com, great-smoky-mountains, which in Where Traveler has been around for 80 years, and you can see it probably in motel rooms around the world. Uh, and we're going, we're, it is a great uh, a resource for in-depth stories uh, uh, about the, the Great Smokies, but also about all the cities and towns around the Smoky Mountains. It's a, it's a big cultural area. You know, the area that we consider the Great Smoky Mountains is about the size of Massachusetts. And it has a lot of people live here, and we get about 20 million people to visit every year. So uh, the where travelers are taking on that sort of global reach of very interesting stories that encompasses not only the Smokies, but the areas around. I really appreciate everybody here coming every week. Uh, come in and listen to us every week. We're going to have a rafting expert out here next week talking about whitewater in the mountains. And we're going to be soon having hiking. We have all sorts of interesting things. So again, visit us at uh, gatewaytothesmokies.fun. Uh, you can reach me at explore at smokiesadventure.com at smokies, plural, adventure singular.com. 
Uh, and it, uh, it's been good to see you. And we'll see you next week. And bye.